Hey there, friends. Welcome to the CFC Leadership Podcast, where we focus on everything campus ministry, college ministry, and young adult ministry related. Whether you're already working in one of these ministry areas, thinking about starting a ministry, or just have a burden for this age group, this podcast is meant just for you. I'm your host, Kyle Austin, and now it's time to join with us in today's conversation. On this episode, I want to talk to you about what I think or believe may be the two greatest enemies to our students' or young adults' spiritual growth. Now, I believe all of us listening desire to see young adults and students reached with the gospel, right? And to watch them or see them grow in their faith. I mean, really, that's what it's all about, taking what you are teaching them and them applying that to their lives. I was in a meeting with many campus ministers this past week, and somebody brand new to campus ministry asked the question, hey, everyone, what is the greatest thing about doing college or campus ministry? And we all began to go around and share, and the thing that came to my mind was walking with them up close and personal in the trenches, on the front lines, as they grow in their faith, watching them and helping them navigate their doubts, asking questions, uh, wrestling with what they're being confronted with in culture, in the media, in the classroom, and uh, walking with them through that journey or that transition period of making their faith their own and growing and latching on and following Jesus Christ. To me, that is one of the greatest things about uh, campus ministries, just the discipleship factor of it. And the amazing thing is about our students and young adults are coming to our meetings because they choose to, not because they're being forced to. Now, they may be coming out of a duty or they may be coming out of a desire. That duty may be to please God or maybe just to please their conscience, to say, hey, I've always done this, so I need to keep doing it, or out of a duty of saying, well, if I don't, God's going to be displeased with me, or maybe it's out of a desire to grow, to truly know Jesus Christ, to truly grow in His grace and in His knowledge. Uh, Spiritual growth requires desire to grow, right? It requires intentional time. It requires effort on students' and young adults' parts. It requires quality time and undivided attention with Jesus. Now, through personal experience and some recent research that I've been doing, I see two powerful enemies to not only our student spiritual growth, but also us as leaders as well. And so I believe we want to take this episode and just really raise awareness to these two great spiritual enemies and to be able to help ourselves and also to be able to help students this school year. The two enemies would be this, busyness and pornography. Now, how many times have you heard your students say, I'm just so busy, or you have responded, we've talked, some of us together, uh, about trying to get students to your events, about getting students to your meetings, and you constantly hear this, I'm just, they're just so busy. Uh, They're too busy to come faithfully or consistently to the meetings, to the events I'm having. It's just hard to get them there. I hear that all the time, and I experience that in our ministry personally. So busyness is a huge enemy to spiritual growth. Why? Well, we, we typically will equate success with busyness. What do do I mean by that? How many times do you hear this? Hey, how are you doing? You can ask anybody. We're doing good. Busy, man. I'm just really busy. Busy week. Okay, that's great. And we will respond the same way. Why? Because we want people to know that we're doing something. We want people to know that we're busy, right? Because busy means what? We're successful. And the busier we are, culture says, the more successful you will be. And so we have to be careful not to buy into that. Uh, We'll all complain about student schedules and their ability to attend meetings and events because they're just so busy. And so we need to navigate this with our young adults because busyness will rob them from spiritual growth. It's because busyness creates many distractions that take the place of God. Just as uh, distractions 
Distracted driving kills thousands each year. Distracted living or spiritual living kills our spiritual growth. Distractions fuel the busyness of our lives, and there are distractions all over the place. Now, if you're a little older, like I am, you may remember when you were younger the thing called boredom. Boredom is not something we have to deal with today because I can sit in a doctor's office, I can stand in line at the grocery store, and I don't have to be bored. I can pull something out of my pocket, and I can scroll, I can look, I can uh, post, and I can do all these things. You see, we have uh, all these different distractions that pull of, pull at us that keep us from ever getting bored. We have our every device, every gadget, every social media site. We have every news site, blog post, lifestyle coach that we can click on with lightning fast speed. So there's no such thing as boredom. And boredom can replace spiritual disciplines such as prayer, such as meditation, such as reading the Bible. And so we uh, condition ourselves, our young adults do, we do, uh, to not allow ourselves to have any downtime or quiet time because we're just so busy in our culture. Man, it is 24-7 all the time. It never stops. Uh, and distractions divide our attention. You think about uh, James teaches a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. When we're super distracted, we're being double-minded. And when Jesus said, you cannot serve God and mammon, he said, you can't do two things at once. We love to multitask. How many uh, how many apps do you have on your phone or computer that are supposed to help you multitask? Uh, I have a larger computer screen and many apps open at one time and felt like I was being uh, able to do more, but actually I'm more distracted. And here Jesus is not given in command He's given a simple observation. You cannot do both of these things at once. It will be one or the other. And so busyness can rob us from our spiritual growth. And we need to help our young adults see the busyness in our culture is in contrast to the way of life that Jesus teaches. What would be three problems with busyness? Well, one, it cuts off their connection with God. Secondly, it cuts off their connection with people. And then thirdly, it cuts off their connection with themselves. You see, busyness just it can get in the way of God. Uh, the world technology has something for us 24-7. Our phones make it where we never have to get bored. We can scroll. Uh, if you think about Scripture, Psalm 46.10, Be still and know that I'm God. The success, or the, I'm sorry, the key to success and happiness is what? Psalm 1, Meditation. Joshua 1.8, it's meditation, meditating therein day and night. On what? On Scripture. You see, the business robs us of even the ability to know how to sit still. I mean, when people in our day and age have to sit still, it is eerie to just sit there with your thoughts, to sit there and think about maybe engaging in prayer. Because we have something to feel, so many distractions, so much busyness. We can just go, click, buy, do all these things, and it's robbing us of our connection with God. But it also robs them and us with our connection with people. We're created to be relational people. And this is a huge issue with uh, young adults, with Gen Z, however you want to label the generation. Uh, loneliness is huge, is a big issue with survey after survey, isolation anxiety, depression, and suicide. These are major, major issues. And I'm not saying that just because you hang around people, it will take it away. 
But when you cut off your connection with God with busyness that doesn't feed you correctly, you cut off your connection with people because you're so busy. We are relational people, and our young adults need to understand the importance. It's not just we're having these hangout events and these times just to get together, and they're purposeless. No, it's just as important to me as a leader to get the gospel out, but also to have set specific times for them to engage in community. Uh, it's crazy to see some of the surveys that I have read when you think about 30,000 students on a college campus, and one of the main uh, issues that they relate to is that they're lonely. And you think, man, you're walking around with 20, 15, 25,000 other students. What do you mean you're lonely? But they're all walking around with earbuds in their ears, and many of them are lonely. They're not engaging in community. And coming out of the pandemic where they were just isolated um, is a huge thing we need to work with them about. I have some uh, juniors that will be, I'm sorry, will be juniors this year and sophomores who, to them, they feel safer and they feel like they're living the college life by being alone in their dorms or in the library. Why? Because that's how school was for two years. They don't understand the community. They don't understand maybe the the life out on campus. And to them, they feel safe. This is the words that they've told me. I feel safer. I feel like this is what college is about because, unfortunately, the pandemic conditioned them that way. But what is it doing? It's breaking their connection with people. They could use that time, right, to really get in connection with God. But, unfortunately, the distractions, the busyness of life also cuts off that. And then it cuts off their connection with themselves. Uh, you have, We all have voices inside our head, emotions that we need to deal with. And when we constantly run to the noise meaning the distractions, the busyness, we don't deal with what's going on inside. And that can uh, end up building up, and it can come out. We begin cracking, we begin angry, we begin doing things that are irrational. Why? Because we're not dealing with the voices or the emotions that are in our head. Now, one professor, Michael Zigarelli at Charleston Southern University, he conducted a survey on obstacles of growth with over 24,000 Christians, and he identified busyness as a major distraction from uh, spiritual life. Here's what he uh, found. Uh, Christians are assimilating to a culture of busyness, hurry, and overload, which leads to, secondly, that was first, which leads to, secondly, God becoming more marginalized in Christians' lives, which leads to, thirdly, a deteriorating relationship with God, which leads to, fourthly, Christians becoming even more vulnerable to adopting secular assumptions about how to live, which leads to, number five, and lastly, more conformity to a culture of busyness, hurry, and overload. And then he says, and then the cycle begins. And so here we're allowing the culture to dictate to us as believers how we should live and not following God's design for life or really, as I would say, the way of life of Jesus. And uh, it was interesting that pastors were found to be the worst. Okay, um, so many of these young people love God, honestly, but they just can't seem to find the time for him, the time to serve, the time to to do things uh, that are very important to them. So we're going to have to help our young people and ourselves to understand the devastating effects of busyness. And I just did on our other podcast, Taking Your Next Step, uh, probably about five or six weeks dealing with the topic of being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus and living like him. And we did a lot on distractions and busyness and how to remove those 
So if you're interested in a more practical aspect, you can jump on there. But let's think about this second topic of pornography. This is a huge, huge issue, and sometimes, let's be honest, it can be awkward to talk about. Uh, But pornography is really a new drug that is addicting too many young people, and it's destroying the lives of both young adults and leaders in the church. And I'm reading a lot about this. I'm seeing this via experience. Uh, You say, when you say it's a new drug, what are you talking about? Well, it's very highly addictive. You hear a lot of people that are uh, have an issue with porn and they have trouble uh, breaking it. They're losing their marriages. They're losing their jobs. They're losing, losing leadership positions in churches because they can't break away from the bondage of porn. Why? Because it does something to the brain. And also because it's so easily accessible today with the, our smartphones and the Internet. Uh Pornography releases dopamine. You can you can do a lot of research and read what it does to the brain, but it conditions the brain and it pleases the brain. And so there are dopamines that are released, and so it creates this addiction in the brain. And so you can imagine this. Imagine a drug addict having an unlimited supply of drugs in his or her pocket all the time. Now, what would be the lifestyle of this drug addict? Well, this person more than likely would be strung out all the time, And any chance of him or her getting off the drugs would be extremely difficult. Why? Because they have an unlimited supply of drugs in their pocket. They're already conditioned in their brain to enjoy what it does to them. This is exactly what we have with pornography in 2022. Because people that have already been exposed to it as young as 8, 10, 11 years old, it does something to their brain. And also they have a 24-7 accessibility to this new drug. They don't have to buy it. They're not going to be put in jail for watching it. They can go to the comforts of their home, the comforts of their car, the comforts of their dorm, and they can engage in it. And so this is why many people are struggling with it, even Christians. I'm going to give you some stats as we go down through here, and much of this comes from the Freedom Fight. They have an excellent uh, website. They have a program to walk people out of the addiction and the bondage of porn. Uh, They have a great book uh, that they've put out that has great information. Some of these stats will come from that. Uh, But 90% of teenage porn use occurs on their smartphones in the privacy of their own home. Think about that, teenagers. And that's where it begins. And then what would pornography look like among Americans before we look at Christians? Well, based on multiple nationwide studies on pornography consumption, two out of three adult men watch porn monthly. Think about that. About 50% view it weekly. 50% of men view it weekly, and one in four are daily users. So about 25% are daily users of porn. Now, Barna Group, many of you, I'm sure, have heard of them. They do a lot of surveys, have a lot of great helps for the church, but they did a proven men's survey, and this is what they found out. They kind of broke it down into different age groups, and I'm just going to focus in on the 18 to 30-year-olds, and this was the highest out of all of them. Uh, Men who view porn at least once a month, 18 to 30-year-olds was 79%. And this is just men in general. Men who view porn at least several times a week was 63%. Then they flipped it over to women, which we're understanding is becoming a big issue. It's not just men. The actual women watching porn is growing very quickly. Women who view porn at least once a month was 34% of 18 to 30-year-olds. Now, this age group is much higher than others because it's start, they're starting at a younger age. 
and they're becoming addicted to it, and they're carrying it with them as they grow up. Now, we have to ask the question, well, what type of porn are they watching? Are they just looking at magazines? Is it just uh, innocent porn, as somebody maybe would try to say, or is it very hardcore violent? What are, what are they watching? Well, a survey was done of 560 college students, and this is what was discovered. 83% of boys and 57% of girls have seen group sex. 69% of boys and 55% of girls have seen same-sex intercourse. And when you think about that uh, and the culture that we live in, if you watch something long enough, you can uh, be conditioned to think it's okay. Uh, you watch something long enough, and you yourself may become attracted to what you're watching uh, and so there can also fuel other issues that can come out of this uh, same-sex relationship, same-sex attraction. Uh, then we go on, 39% of boys and 23% of girls have seen sexual bondage. 32% of boys and 18% of girls have seen bestiality. 18% of boys and 10% of girls have seen portrayals of rape and sexual violence. 15% of boys and 9% of girls have seen child pornography. And I think that last one with the portrayals of rape or violence, this is the big, big issue uh, that uh, the porn industry uh, is just going so much more violent, so much more graphic, sexual trafficking is being involved in it. And as they're watching maybe just the initial uh, views of, of, of uh, porn, uh, naked images of women and guys, it moves to, of course, inter intercourse and it's group sex and same sex. And what's going on is they're not getting the same high off what they're watching before. So they have to go deeper and deeper. And the more they get into it, many times it turns into watching rape or sexual violence. And this is kind of the direction that's going. And you say, what does this do to a young man? What does this do to a young girl who's watching this type of stuff? Well, we're going to talk about that, but it really distorts their view of women. Uh, their view on violence uh, is different than maybe your typical person. Uh, they will be prone to violence with women. Uh, so there's a huge issue there. But let's think about pornography among Christians. That's just uh, America in general. You would think surely these stats we looked at would not include Christian men and women. But that same survey by Barner Group, the Proven Men Survey, found that there is virtually no difference, absolutely no difference, maybe 1% in men with monthly porn use of non-Christians versus Christians. 65% of non-Christians versus 64% of Christians. So currently, Christianity is not a protection from porn. And so I say this, if we think we don't have young adults or even leaders in our ministries not struggling with this issue, then we're not being realistic, nor will we be able to help them. As you think about the college students who are going to come through your doors, the ones you're already working with, uh, the ones in your young adult class, the, uh, the leaders you have working with you, um, we would be naive to think that they're not dealing with this issue, that it's not in our group. Uh, for some more research, the Freedom Fight conducted a survey of 550 women and 750 men from over 30 universities across America. So now we're going to get some just real information of Christian young people on the college campus. Now, the ones that were surveyed, these were Christian students who were involved in a campus ministry active, and 85% of them indicated that their faith is very, very important to them. So these are uh, active, engaged Christian young people, and many of them were in leadership positions within these ministries. And listen to this. 89% of these growing Christian men watch porn at least occasionally. 89%. 
More than 60% view it at least weekly. More than 50% said they are addicted to porn. For women, it was 51% are watching porn at least occasionally. That is shocking. That is eye-opening. There was uh, one professor trying to do research on the effects of porn use or viewing versus those who have never viewed porn, but he could not find a single person within his survey that had never at least viewed porn once. So this is a huge issue. This is something that is not just over here in this uh, this group or over here with just non-believers or over here with atheists. This is within our groups. I mean, these are Christian young people that are in campus ministries, and the more someone watches porn, the less likely they are to find it as offensive or morally wrong. So here you're going to have a lot of Christian young men and women who do not think pornography is morally wrong. Only 55% of adults from 25 or older believe viewing pornography is wrong. Now, two out of three Christian men watch porn regularly, but less than one in 10 of these men seek help. Why is that? Are they just they stuck? Are they just enjoying it and they don't care? Some of them, yes. Some of them are stuck and they don't know how to get out. You see, porn has devastating effects on people. One, it creates an addiction issue that is really hard to break because of what it does to the brain, the way uh, the body feeds off of the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes. So it, it creates this bondage, this addiction, and hugely it creates shame and guilt. And this may be one of the biggest reasons people have a hard time getting help. They feel shame. They don't want to open up. They don't want to share it, so they just hide it, and it creates isolation. So porn happens in isolation. Another devastating effect, it puts people in isolation. Remember, we talked earlier about business. It cuts off their connection with people. So does porn, and people get in these isolated spots, and guess what? In isolation, man, that is a devil's playground, and in isolation, you have self-deception. Look, uh, it's not going to hurt anybody else. It's just me. I can stop when I get married. These are all lies that they tell themselves to continue doing. No one has to know, and you can tell yourself so many things to, to rationalize uh, your porn use, but shame and guilt is a huge factor for people not getting help, and some of that's on their part, but then some of that may be our part as uh, Christian leaders, not creating a safe place or not talking about it in general so that when it even has the opportunity to come up, it's just in a shameful, guiltful fashion. So the devastating effects of porn are it creates addiction, it creates shame and guilt, self-deception, isolation. It's creating a sexlessness among young men because they are uh, so able to be pleased with a screen, and that's what their brains are conditioned to, that they're not even able to be aroused uh, in the way that God created them with a woman or uh, even a woman with a man. They have a distorted view of God's gift of sex now. Uh, It creates a view that men and women are merely objects to be used uh, for their pleasure and their consumption, and it is hindering Christians from engaging in leadership positions. Many people are not willing to step up because they feel like they're going to be hypocrites, and it is withdrawing uh, some from leadership positions because they uh, because of criteria of sexual immorality. And then some are in it, but they feel like they're hypocr- hypocrites, and so they're stunted in their spiritual growth, and they're feeling the shame, they're feeling the guilt, and they just don't know what to do. Now, understand porn is a hard topic to talk about. It can be awkward, right? And so as I talk about uh, this issue and kind of think through it and talk to other ministry leaders and stuff, I've seen this kind of in just general. I see some who don't think it's an issue in their groups. They just they think they're immune to it. 
I see some that think we shouldn't talk about it because it may cause someone else to think about it. That, that seems okay, right? We don't want to bring it up because we may lead somebody who's not in it to start thinking about it and go into it. But I believe that's a denial of Scripture. Why? Because Scripture is very vocal on sexual sins. Paul doesn't talk about it just once. He talks about it many times, and so does Jesus. And for us to think that it's not an issue in our group would be just to be naive and really ignorant to the facts of the research and the stats and where our culture is. Is. I also see others who are just silent on the issue, hoping it will just go away or kind of slide by. So if we're not willing to address this issue and others like it head on, then we're really leaving just this giant hole in our discipleship. So what can we do just quickly in the last moment here? We, can, we must open up the discussion. Uh, we must be willing to talk about it in a safe place. We must create some safe places for people to express their problems and get help. Now, I think, you know, most people are not going to raise their hand and say, oh, I've got a problem with porn or, you know, whatever the case is. But we maybe need to start talking about it in general so people know that we're not going to shame them as we talk about it. It needs to come up periodically in our teaching, in our discussion. Uh, so that way, when we get one-on-one, we can ask questions, we can talk, and they may be willing to open up. Um, teaching and allowing those with a porn addiction to open up and share their story with others we've learned aids tremendously in removing the shame and keeps them uh, the shame that keeps them isolated from porn. So it's very important as people get healing and come out of the addiction, opening up about it is very important. So how can we do this? Now, if we just start giving a series or try to do a seminar or a series on, hey, if you have a porn problem, come to this meeting at 8 o'clock on Monday nights, many people may not come out. Why? Because they feel shame. They feel they're going to admit their deepest, darkest secret. Or you may have someone who's married and they're struggling. I, what if my wife finds about this? Or you have a Christian leader who says, I really want out. But if I do this, I'm going to lose my job. So you understand the implications there. So one way to think about it, one is definitely open up the discussion, help people to know that you're not going to shame them or guilt them if they have an issue, that this is a sexual issue like other sexual sins that can be dealt with. There is hope. People do come out of it. Uh, maybe you want to offer some type of preventative seminar, preventative classes or lessons uh, to say, hey, we're going to walk through this so you don't fall into the trap of pornography. And that way people could come get help, get tools, get resources, and know they're not going to be judged or shamed. And if they prayerfully can come out at a safe place at a safe time, maybe with you, maybe with the group, whatever the case may be, but that could be a first step to getting someone help without feeling like they're going to incriminate themselves by coming. And again, the Freedom Fight has a website. You can check that out. They have tremendous resources and tools. Uh, I know this was just basically raising awareness to the issue. We didn't dive a lot into practical aspects, so we may come back and do an episode on that. Uh, but check out their website, and I pray that can be a great help to you. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If this podcast has been helpful to you, please share it with a friend or subscribe to stay up to date on the latest episodes. You can connect with Collegians for Christ online for more information and resources at cfccampusministry.com.